You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. The reading for this week is from Genesis chapter 43, starting at verse 33 to the end of Genesis chapter 45. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much fruit as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from, and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my lord's slaves. Very well then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who is found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, so I can see him for myself. And we said to my lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant my father, we told him what my lord had said. Then our father said, Go back and buy a little more food. But we said, We cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. 
We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all you who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. 
10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Hi, everyone. Um, once again, it's a, it's a great pleasure to be with you um, again in another TNT. My name is Josh, and we've been preaching through um, a series in Genesis, looking at Joseph's narrative, uh, looking at the amazing way that God has um, changed Joseph's life. He's gone from someone who was betrayed and cast down, and he's been raised up. And last week, we saw that he met those who hurt him. He met his brothers and started a series of tests to bless and transform them. Um, and we've been asking this question through the series, like, what will the royal snake crushing seed be like for those who are kind of joining us? What we're really asking is, um, Joseph is kind of a picture of the great king to come. And through looking at Joseph, we get to see what the future royal snake crushing seed will be like. What will they be like? Um, but before we start today, um, what we need to do, I think, to really get this passage well, is go through a brief, literal, early history of brotherhood. Um, brotherhood, how brothers have related to each other through the Genesis story. And there's been a series of brothers that we've seen. Um, the first one, Cain and Abel, did not go well. Um, Cain kills Abel out of jealousy, kills his brother. We move down through the narrative, through Genesis. Um, Ishmael taunts and mocks Isaac, uh, possibly out of jealousy. There's a, there's a dislike there. And then, of course, we get to Jacob and Esau. And Jacob deceives Esau, and Esau tries to kill him. And what we see in this pattern in Genesis is a series of brothers who can't get it together, who hate each other, violent to each other, even to the point of death. And now we come to Joseph and his brothers, and oh my goodness, how bad are they? They would mock, strip, betray, cast them down a well, and, and sell them into slavery. And don't even start it on the daughters of the covenant, how they treat Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Tamar, awful. And what we see in this pattern in Genesis, in these early chapters, is what, what you can only call a pattern of generational violence, a cycle of violence. Um, and at the core of it seems to be discord between brothers. Infighting, they're, they're pulling each other apart, trying to get at each other. And, uh, and, and God hates it. Um, here's a passage from Proverbs. Uh, I'm using the ESV and I'll explain that in a second. But we see what it says. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty, that means proud eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and, sorry, six things the Lord hates, and seven, one who sows discord amongst brothers. Discord amongst brothers. Now, obviously, a weakness of this translation is that it may give the impression that it's about men only. It's not. Um, it's about all people. But the reason that I've put that there is because I, I wonder if you're getting a sense of deja vu. 
Haven't we seen this before? Yes, you have. How did the brothers stack up against this passage? It's almost like this passage was written about them. They are awful. They're quick to kill their brother, quick to lie about it. Their feet run to evil and they have discord, just like all the generations that went before them. And so the question is, who's going to fix this really messed up family? How are they going to be united? Is it going to be a really powerful one who's going to get everyone in line and strong arm them into believing and trusting and having peace? Uh, is there going to be a charismatic one who wins them over with his, I don't know, his, his, his good words and they all get in line? And that's a question that we need to think about today. We've been thinking about what is the royal snake crushing seed going to be like? Well, how is the seed going to reign if they're reigning over a fractured evil family? That's our, that's our focus question today. How will the seed reign over a fractured evil family? And I want to just talk to them why this matters. Why does that matter? Is that such an esoteric question? No, it matters deeply. Why? Because as we remember, the promise that was given to Abraham and therefore to the family of, of, of God is that through that special person, all people on earth are going to be blessed. The seed's going to bless the house of Jacob and the whole world. And that's where you are, Monash University student. That's you. This matters to you. In fact, it matters to everyone out there as well. This question matters. This broken family needs to get its act together because their discord, their fighting between their brothers, they're killing each other off literally, is impeding their ability to bless each other, let alone bless the whole world. And so we come back to this question, how is the sea going to reign over a, a fractured evil family? And we remember that last week, Joseph has started the process of transforming his brothers through testing. Do you remember the test? The first one? Um, he uh, tests them by uh, questioning, will they accept responsibility for harming Joseph? And they do. They recognize their guilt. And the second test, he gives them some silver. And will they act with integrity and honesty regarding the silver? And they do. They return it back. And now we come to the third and final test, which is, will they accept the favored brother? Now, you may remember, we actually had it read out. Um, thank you to Hannah that chapter 43 ended with uh, the starving men coming together and feasting at a banquet. But at the banquet, Benjamin, the youngest son, gets five times as much food. Five times as much food. That's weird. Imagine what you'd be like. Why is he giving this guy five times as much food? Much more than the rest. Much more than any human being could really eat. Uh, let's just get something straight here. Um, Joseph has actually blessed them all. They're starving in the midst of a famine and he's given them a royal banquet. They, the fact they even have food for the day is a rich blessing. But he has decided to extra bless, super bless Benjamin. And the reason that he's done that is he wants to see how they react to a favored son. Now you may remember that he was the favored son and it didn't go well for him. They were jealous and they tried to kill him off. See, God had richly blessed all of Jacob's sons, all of them, by the fact that they were counted amongst God's family, the family of Jacob. But he chose to super bless, I guess you could say, Joseph. He chose to give him a dream that he was going to rule over. And it really is good enough. It should have been good enough for all the brothers to just be happy with that. But they weren't. They were jealous. 
and they decided to kill the favoured son. They mocked him, stripped him, tried to kill him and sold him into slavery. And we can see from this that the brothers here, hear this, the brothers were not ready to rally behind the seed. They're not ready to rally behind the seed. They don't get the fact that God is going to use one, just one person, one person to bless the family and the world. They can't bear the fact that one of the sons is going to be above them. And so they kill him when they try to. And so now Joseph is testing them and God is using Joseph to test the family. How are they going to react now to Benjamin, the favored son? And that's where we're going today. So we're reading from Genesis 45. Will they accept the favored brother? Um, while they're eating at the prince's table, uh, Joseph, again, very sneakily, says to the steward of the house, fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put in each man's silver. So put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack, then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, that's Benjamin, along with the silver for his grain. He's put a little cup in his sack to test them. And uh, the brothers, they, they've had a wonderful feast. They're starving and now they've just been blessed. And they're super happy. They're ready to go back to Canaan, go back to their father, Jacob. Victorious. They're truly victorious. They've got their grain. Mission accomplished. They kept their money, even the double portion that they brought over. Awesome. And they even have Benjamin. Can I get a big yay? Yeah. Yay. They have Benjamin, the one that their father was worried about. Oh, um, they also have Simeon. Yeah. Can we, get, can we get like a lackluster? Yet? Yeah. Yeah. They got Simeon too. But they have Benjamin. They have Benjamin, the one their father was, <laughs> thanks, the one their father was worried about. They're truly victorious. They're ready to go back. But then tragedy strikes. They get up in the morning. They wake up. They set out to go back to the land of Canaan. And as they're going out, they see racing off in the distance, coming towards them, the Egyptian steward. And he meets them and he says to them, he says to them, uh, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this cup my master, that my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you've done. And they're probably wondering, like, what? What cup? Very confusing. Well, what do they say? They say, why does my Lord say such things? Very reasonably, look, they say, far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Cayman, the silver that we found inside the mouth of our sex. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Wow. They set the bar pretty high. <laughs> pretty confident that it hadn't happened. And the steward says, yeah, very well then. Let it be as you say. Uh, whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. And uh, the sacks of grain, they, they hit the floor. Thud, 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 thud. And uh, they open it up in age order. Reuben, grain, just grain. Oh. Simeon, bam, grain. Levi, grain. Judah, grain. They go all the way down to Benjamin. Open up the sack, grain. And, um, and a cup. Oh, no. They tear their clothes in distress. Benjamin is now a slave. 
And uh, if you wonder, oh, wait a minute, they tear their clothes into shreds. Haven't, deja vu, haven't we seen this before? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Um, when Reuben found out that Joseph was a slave, he tore his clothes in distress. When Jacob found out that his son was dead, he tore his clothes in distress. And now the brothers, last time they were kind of happy that Joseph was gone. When they hear that Benjamin, when they hear that Benjamin is a slave, they are changed now. They, they tear their clothes in distress. And they begin a long march back to the city to meet Joseph, who demands Benjamin's life as a slave. And then Judah gives a long, very long, passionate speech, arguably one of the best speeches in Genesis. It's long. It's kind of repetitive, if I'm being honest. Um, he repeats entire po- parts of the narrative, entire speeches again. I just want to pause for a second. Um, we're going to our Old Testament tip. Um, I, all of you here are uni students. I can safely assume that. So I'm pretty confident that all of you did English or literature or English language at school. And I wonder if you what would your English teacher say about that speech? The fact that there's so much repetition, so much repetition. Um, I think what they might say is that it's important. It's really important. And really, this is kind of an extension of our first tip, which is repetition shows emphasis. Um, you may get to this bit and you might go, I just want to skip it. Don't. Something important is about to happen. Slow down, pay attention, because what we see in this speech is possibly the most important part of the Joseph narrative. Something as extraordinary is going to happen. Now, unfortunately, I'm literally not going to practice what I preach, and I'm just going to zoom through it. <laughs> but thankfully, um, Hannah and Hope have read it for us, and um, we're going to see what, what Judah says. So Joseph, he demands um, Benjamin as a slave, and this is what Judah says, again, in paraphrase. He says, we have an old, old father, and he, he has a special son from his special wife. And he had two sons from this woman, but the first one died. So he, Benjamin, is the last one. You, Joseph, they don't know who he is at this point, but they say, you, Joseph, you wanted us to bring him to you. And we did it because we were starving. We needed food. But if we go back without Benjamin, our father's favorite son, his last son, and look, look, what, look, look how they describe him in the text. He almost is like his only son. If we go back without him, he, our father, will die. He'll die. Why? Because Benjamin and Jacob are so wrapped together, so closely bound, their lives are intertwined, that if Benjamin dies here as a slave, then Jacob, he's going to die too. And Judah says this, he says, So please, my Lord, let your servant, Judah, stay here in place for my father's favorite special son. Swap me. And why? Judah says, I would rather die as a slave than go back and see my father's misery when he finds out that his special son is dead. Do you see how far Judah has come? Do you see how far Judah's come? He was the guy at the start of the story who sold off his brother callously, heartlessly into slavery. He didn't care at all. 
He ignored the fact that Joseph was pleading for his life. And then he went to his dad, Jacob, and lied straight to his face and said, your son is dead. And he watched as Jacob mourned for days. He didn't care. And now Judah says, I would rather die as a slave than go back and see my father's misery when he finds out his special son is dead. Judah has been transformed and he kind of represents all the brothers. They've changed. They would rather die. They'd rather be a slave in this foreign land than have Jacob lose his favorite son. And something really extraordinary is going on here. At one level, Judah is sacrificing himself to save Benjamin, right? That, that's kind of like at a base level what's going on here. But what Judah's really doing is he's empathizing with his father, Jacob. He's able to understand that uh, Jacob, and, and think about the self-sacrifice that it comes to come to this. It would have hurt to come to this realization. Jacob just loves Benjamin more. He just loved Joseph more. Uh, I'm not saying that's right, but Judah is able to understand his father. He understands that uh, Jacob loved Rachel more than anyone else, and she's dead. And he loved Joseph more than anyone else, and he's passed away. And all he's got left is Benjamin. He's able to empathize with him. And as he's doing so, he accepts, of course, that Benjamin is the special son. That's what's going on. But here's what gets really meta. And this is why Joseph has done this test. Because in accepting that Benjamin is the special favored son, he recognizes that at the start, Joseph, Joseph was the favored special son. It gets even more meta than that because he's actually accepting God's plan of salvation. That God is going to use one special son to redeem and rescue the whole family. And that hope actually carries throughout the rest of the Old Testament. The, the, the Jewish people, they look forward to that one person who's going to come and make all things right. The family of God get it now. I can see Kudza is about to take a photo. Wait for me to do one more slide, my friend. <laughs> but there's something even crazier that's about to happen. Are you ready for it? I don't think you're ready. No, I'm going to do it. Don't worry. What happens when Judah accepts God's plan of salvation is he becomes a type of Christ. That's mental. In accepting the fact that Joseph is kind of a representative, God's chosen ruler, he becomes one himself. We can call this like, I don't know, typeception or something like that. He demonstrates in his sacrifice what Jesus is going to be like. He trusts that Benjamin, Joseph, uh, God's special one, and he's willing to give up his own life so that Benjamin can go back to his father. And as he's doing that, he is showing us what the royal snake-crushing seed is going to be like, one who substitutes, one who substitutes himself for others. That's awesome. How cool is the Bible? And what we see here is the types or images of Christ collapse. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, for sure. Jesus is the true and better Judah. His sacrifice isn't just for one Benjamin. It's for the world. He's going to rescue and ransom all those who put faith in him from all over the planet. Through all time. That's amazing. Billions of people. Jesus is a true and better Judah. But this is where typology is really interesting because they smash together. 
we see that Jesus is the true and better, I don't know how to say this, Judah, Joseph. They come together. And I just want to encourage you that when you're reading the Old Testament and you get images of Jesus as they pop up and you think, wow, and you follow that thread, that they all are coming together to make this picture of what this king is going to be like. And of course, it's Jesus. He's the true and better king. He's the true and better sacrifice. Now we move to chapter 45. Judah has made his great speech. Is it enough? Is that enough for Joseph to forgive him? Oh, yeah, I, I accept Benjamin, your brother. Yeah, take me. Now, just remember, right? This guy Judah, especially Judah, tried to kill him. That's bad enough. Um, sold him into slavery where he became a prisoner for over 10 years. And now... Out of this test, Judah has singled himself out as the guy who says, take me, leave everyone else. I mean, Joseph would be in his right to just crush this guy and in good conscience let the rest of the family go. Judah is the one who really stirred the pot at the start. And he's got Judah in the palm of his hand. How should Joseph respond? What would be fair? Should he repay them for their evil? And continue this cycle of generational violence? No, no, that's not what Joseph does. He, um, he shows mercy. So let's read together. Um, Joseph sees that Judah is willing to die for his favored son. He sees that God has changed them. And he says, everyone out, get out. He tells all the Egyptians to get out. And he cries, what does it say? He cries so hard that everyone can hear him. The whole royal family, the whole palace can hear him. He's so moved by this and he reveals himself to them. I'm Joseph. And the brothers, they're mortified. Wait a minute. This guy speaks our language? Wait a minute. This guy knows Joseph? Wait a minute. This guy is Joseph, the guy we tried to kill? He's going to kill us, surely. And Joseph, um, what does he do? He invites them to, to come near. Come near. Be at peace. Um, and, and why should they trust him? Why should they trust him? Well, let's see how Joseph interprets his own story. Um, reading from uh, verse 5. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there had been famine in the land, and for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And look at this line, verse 8. So then, remember, they sold him into slavery. Look what Joseph says. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. That whole story that we've been reading was God's plan of salvation. And it didn't look that way. But God subverted the brothers' evil desires, their wicked ways, and made it good. And they hug, and they cry, and they hug some more, and they cry some more. And then the brothers go and leave to go back to their father, Jacob, um, so that the whole family can come and live in Egypt and survive this awful famine to come and live in the land. And as they leave, this is what Joseph says to them in verse 24. He says, 
Don't quarrel on the way. <laughs> I love that. Uh, he knows them. And they go and tell Jacob, and he's amazed. Um, this old man, his spirit is revived, and he says in verse 28, I am convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And so we've been asking this question, how will the seed reign over a fractured evil family? Um, by doing something unprecedented, by showing mercy, by bearing the cost of pain and betrayal and not paying it back. And uh, Joseph breaks the cycle of generational violence. He forgives and unites the family. And so we see this question, what will the royal snake crushing seed like? Well, one, like Judah, who will unite and mend the family through self-sacrifice. We saw that through jo uh, Judah's great speech. And just like Joseph will unite and mend the family through mercy. Through mercy. And we'll just step back for a second. Look, how can we make sense of this? How, how do we apply this to, to us today? Well, um, as we discussed uh, last week, it's helpful with Old Testament narratives to, to, uh, to imitate the hero. What Judah and Joseph done is awesome. It's good to forgive. You should do that. But to identify with the ordinary people in the story, the weak people. Why? Because it, it kind of more accurately describes our situation. It helps us to understand where we are. We need help. And so we ought to look at the brothers and identify with them. And what we do when we look at the brothers is we see that God hated their wicked ways. They were an abomination to him. The way they treated Joseph, it greatly displeased him. But he didn't leave them as they were. He changed them. And this is something that I think we have to know about grace. I think we're really good at remembering that grace is like the royal pardon that, uh, that Joseph gives them. And grace is like the royal amazing meal that God sustains us and provides for us. But grace is also transformative. There's grace in the Old Testament. God mercifully changes his people. It, it pleases him. He changes them where it matters, at their heart. And it's slow, and we see that it goes over a lifetime, and uses all sorts of things, trials like famine, um, family death, uh, exposure of sin, all sorts of things. But look how far they've come. Total scumbags who are now humble servants. And I wonder if you today, uh, whether you doubt whether God can change you. I know I've certainly felt that way at times. How could God change me? And I think it doesn't matter today if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, that question is the same. Can God really take me as I am and make me into something better? And sometimes I doubt that, and I don't know, I don't know if you do. And um, I'm encouraged as I read this story to see how God graciously transforms these people into uh, better people from awful, evil, murderous, hateful brothers into loving, um, uh, yeah, loving servants who are sacrificial. And God can change you. In fact, he pleases to do so. Why? Well, we've been asking that question, how will, uh, how will the seed reign over an evil, fractured family? Well, how will, how will that happen? Because, well, God is going to transform his family to make them not fractured, but united. Not evil, but holy. Why? So that the royal snake-crushing seed Christ will rule over them. He'll rule over a united, 
holy family. And God will slowly transform his people to that end. And the second reason why I think it's helpful for us to identify with the ordinary people in this story is it positions us to appreciate, to understand our need for the hero, for the, for the seed, who they represent, Jesus Christ, the great one who saves us. Because this story that we saw today, this, this forgiveness that happens as Joseph embraces his brothers and makes things all, all things right and blesses them and tells them, come and live with me and have all the greatest food in the land. It's such a rich picture of forgiveness, isn't it? extraordinary extraordinary um and jesus does it in an even greater way he's both the joseph and the judah in our story he's both the one who's merciful and the one who takes our place he sacrifices his life so that uh, you and i that we can be with our father and he uh, mercifully forgives us uh, and institutes peace amongst his people and that loving peace that Christians have, um, that's kind of a fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. That is what will bless the nations. But it's founded on the great act of love that Christ did, his sacrifice for us so that we may be reconciled with God and his great mercy towards us, even though we killed and betrayed him. And I wonder as well, do you doubt this? Like, do you doubt that you could truly be reconciled with God? Um, I think that uh, people who are non-believers have a really good way of saying this. The question in the debate is, are you a good person? The common answer to that is, yeah, I haven't killed someone. <laughs> That's the bar. I'm not a murderer. Well, these murderers were forgiven. These murderers were forgiven. Joseph was able to forgive his murderers. And he did it 13 years later. But Jesus Christ forgave those who were murdering him as they were nailing him to the cross how great and rich and merciful is your redeemer father forgive them they don't know what they do jesus jesus is just so much better than joseph isn't he do you doubt that god could reconcile you to himself i mean just look at this story alone to show you the the magnitude the scope the breadth the enormity of the ability of god to of someone to forgive someone who's betrayed them, how much more will God be able to forgive and reconcile himself with you? And um, this is where we're going to end today. I think reconciliation is the heart cry of all people. Um, I know that many of you today are thinking about the debate tomorrow, the big evangelism event. You're excited to, to share the good news with those who have never heard about Jesus. And I want you to remember what we've learned today, that reconciliation, that cry of the heart to be unified, to be at peace, resonates with all people. Um, you may run into a bunch of objections, people telling you things like, how could you believe in God if he allows so much evil to go on the world? How could you be a Christian and believe in science? Those are good questions. Like, listen, um, respectfully engage with them, but don't be deceived. Don't forget to offer the person in front of you what they need and what they want, which is reconciliation with God, with people. Offer that to them. And I hope you're captured by the vision here of God's ability to forgive, unite and mend his family and be encouraged as you go out. Um, 
the seed unites. The seed fixes the family. Um, the great cry, I think, of uh, the blood of Abel, crying out for peace amongst humankind. Well, the answer is in Jesus. He institutes it. He fixes his family. Praise God for your rich Redeemer. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.